Hey everyone, this is Reiko, and you are listening to Jesus in the Center, One Year Bible Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Today is the sixth day of January. It's day number six, and wow, uh, I'm just so thankful that there are just a ton of you who have lots of questions. There are so many questions as as you read through, especially as you read through Genesis. If you've uh, been in the church a while, you probably have heard the things that we're reading in Matthew. And you might be seeing some things in the Psalms and Proverbs that you agree with. But there are just lots of questions as you are in Genesis. So that's where we'll spend most of our time today. Let's pray. Well, Lord, open your word to us that we might see Jesus. Jesus, the center of our lives, the center of the universe. Him who is risen and exalted and reigning. Oh, Lord, open your word to us that uh, that we might walk by your spirit and that the fruit of the spirit the fruit of your spirit might live in us. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, well, thanks again. Uh, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 13, Matthew chapter 5, and then we'll see Psalm 6 and part of, of Proverbs chapter 1. Well, as we jump into here, we see that um, we see the part of this answer. Remember Genesis 3, there's this uh, crushing fall that um, Adam and Eve uh, disobey God, and God goes to war rather than condemn them. He says, I will go to war for you, and I will send one, a seed of the woman, an offspring of the woman who will crush the, the, her, the, sorry, will crush the head of the serpent. And we'll see that one coming. And it, is it Noah? Or let me back up. Is it Abel? Is it, uh, is it Seth? Is it Noah? All of these are possibilities, but no, uh, they are not. But keep that in mind as you think about this story. This is a story, uh, the story of God sending that one to fix all that has gone wrong. Well, we get to Genesis 12 last yesterday, and we see that God calls Abram out of all these nations to be the one who will bless the world, who will, um, who will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And uh, so that's where we picked up yesterday, even though uh, Abram is not a, a perfect man by any stretch of the imagination. The things he does with his wife, uh, you know, not protecting her, not being uh, the perfect redeemer himself, uh, but God promising to bring this redeemer through him. So we're in Genesis 13, and we see Abram and his nephew Lot. They're shepherds, they're nomads, and they're quite wealthy. They have so many uh, sheep and goats that they can't be together. They need more pasture. And so we see Abram here as an unselfish fellow. He says to his nephew, hey, you choose. Uh, you go right, I'll go left. You go left, I'll go right. And um, they split ways. Lot goes into the city, into Sodom. And Abram is, takes the other ground, the higher ground that is not as good for growing. And we see this a few different times in Genesis where God will um, remind Abram of the promise that that he made, and he'll extend the promise. So we see that in Genesis 13, verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where, you're, where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your seed forever. And here, it seems like this seed is not just the one individual seed. Think of the word deer. It's singular, but it includes the plural. And this one seed will be the Redeemer, but also, this seed has, this offspring is plural. It'll, 
as it says in Hebrews, that he'll bring in many brothers, right? Jesus will. And the text goes on, the promise goes on. I will make your seed as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. And um, so it's a beautiful picture here. And Abram uh, builds an altar and he worships the Lord at that place where this promise was given. You might think to yourself, I'm nothing but dust. But rejoice that you're God's dust. Right here, God tells Abram that, you know, count the dust if you can. That's how many seed or how many offspring you'll have. So it's a beautiful promise here, even though we know from chapter 11 that at this point, his wife is barren. Then you get to chapter 14. Lot gets himself in trouble. There is these uh, Mesopotamian kings who are fighting five against four. And in the midst of their fighting, they... A lot gets taken captive, but I just want to point out one thing I learned this week. Verse 10, it says, Now the valley of Sidim was full of bitumen pits, or tar pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. I read this week that the historian Josephus said that uh, at his time, he would see, people would see asphalt floating in the Dead Sea, um, or, you know, interesting there. That was kind of a new thing to me. So he's, this was uh, normal for this time. There are tar pits in that area, and uh, even they were seen uh, floating in the Dead Sea as everything would float in the Dead Sea. All right, so we see also, uh, I like this, that Lot doesn't just think, you know, hear that, oh, my nephew, I'm sorry, Abram doesn't just hear that my nephew is, is in trouble. That's too bad. I'm just going to pray for him. No, he, he gathers up his forces, and it, there's 318 of his trained men, and that's the only time in the in the Hebrew Bible this word is used, this word for trained men. It's these specially trained. Is that all of Abram's men? We don't know. They are definitely those who are trained to fight and skilled at warfare and protect and all that. So Abram's very rich. He takes these 318 men, and he goes in, for, in pursuit as far as Dan. Now, the word Dan, it's a city that it would not have had that name yet, but Moses is telling this uh, for those, you know, it's a later naming. It's, you know where it is. It's the, it's the name of the town up there, which at the time was probably called uh, Laish, but uh, the readers would have known it as Dan. And so he goes back and brings back Lot, and then he will not take any of the possessions for himself. Interesting section here. We have this king that, uh, this king priest, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, uh, which, by the way, is probably Jerusalem. Um, Salem means peace, like shalom, and uh, Jerusalem means foundation of peace. Here, Melchizedek is the ancient king of, of this place, Salem, or shalom, and he brings out bread and wine, and it says that he was priest of God Most High. And that, that name for God comes up Many times in the Bible, it's not the normal name for God, but it is the name that the nations might know. We might say the sky God, the greatest God. And when, when the Jews are interacting with other nations, they'll, they'll refer to their God as God Most High. We'll see this in Psalm 91. We see it in different places in the Bible. That this is the name for God over all other gods. And Melchizedek is the priest, and he blesses Abram. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor or owner, purchaser of heaven and earth. And then he blesses God and says, And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. 
And we see here Abram freely giving a tenth of his, of his goods, uh, of everything that he had, to Melchizedek, to the priest. Is there a law that says he has to do this? No, he just does it freely. And so this is where we get the idea of, of a tithe or a tenth of our goods we give to the Lord and, and, and thanks to him. Well, this Melchizedek comes up again because, as we'll come to see, the, the Redeemer will be a king. He will be a prophet, and he'll also be a priest, but he won't be a priest in the, the regular line of, of the Jewish priests. Those priests are priests according to Levi, who's not in the story yet, so we'll get there. This priest, Jesus, will be the priest in the order of Melchizedek. So you can read more about that in, in Hebrews chapter 6 and 7. It's very detailed. But also this promise comes up again. And I think this is the most quoted um, psalm in the New Testament. The most quoted verse in the New Testament comes from Psalm 110. So I'm going to flip over to Psalm 110, and which refers to Melchizedek. Let's take a look. It says this, The Lord, Jesus uses this many times, so do the apostles. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And then it goes on and says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Um, so this, this king who um, will be installed as God's king, who is, you know, as, da- as Jesus uses this later, is David's lord, even though he's David's son. This king will also be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And uh, one more thing I didn't say, the name Melchizedek means um, a king of righteousness. Um, Sedek, Sedek, I believe is the um, Hebrew word for righteousness. So he is a king of righteousness. Or it could be, um, my king is righteousness. However it is, it's those words together. Jesus is the one who will come as the priest and he'll also be a king of righteousness. He'll bring us God's righteousness. All right, well, that's Genesis 14. I can't skip by. God also mentioned Genesis 15. And thanks for sticking in here as, as we're looking at this text. Again, God comes to Abram, and here he gives them a vision, whereas in the other times he spoke. Um, here it's a vision, and it's probably lasts more than one, one night. And he says, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram's like, yes, but, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And he says, behold, you've given me no offspring. You, you who promised a seed, uh, nations coming out of me, I, I have no kids. A member of my house will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And this is um, a promise that Isaac would be born. And he brought him outside and says, look toward heaven and number the stars. Whereas before he says, look at the dust. That's how much offspring you'll have. Here he says, look at the stars and number them if you're able to. And he says, so shall your offspring be. Now, this next line is important in the history of salvation. It says this. Well, let me ask you this first. Is Abram already a believer? Has he already trusted in Yahweh? Has he already heard his word and and believed and responded in faith? Yeah, we see him building altars and praying and um, using his power for good. 
he's not perfect, right? Uh, but he, we see this, and uh, we see him tithing to uh, Melchizedek um, in the name of the Lord Most High. He's a believer. But look at verse 6 here of, of Genesis 15. It says, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So remember how Melchizedek is the king of righteousness, who prefigures Jesus, the king of righteousness? Well, here, Abram believed God and believed the Lord, and the Lord counted this, reckoned this to him as righteousness, right? not as good works. And Paul will pick up this. St. Paul will say in Romans chapter 4, he'll develop this whole thought in, in, in showing us that we come into God's good graces not by our best efforts, not by any efforts, but by believing, believing that, um, that what God says he will do, that he will be faithful to his word. And so Abram's already a believer, but he again is, we call, this is Paul's words, he's justified, that is righteousified. He's counted righteous. And so are we. Every day when we rise and we believe, it, God counts it to us as righteousness. It's a beautiful thing. Once we are acquitted righteous and as we continue in faith, we are continually counted righteous. So beautiful. And then I just want to talk about this next thing that happens. God is going to make a covenant, an agreement with Abram. And, um, and this continues the basically, uh, how much did Abram do? He just believed. And so we see in this covenant that will come, the literally this cutting of the covenant that, that will come, how much does Abram do? Well, he pretty much just goes to sleep. God puts him to sleep. And that's a sign for us of what do we do? How much do we do? Yeah, we believe, but also uh, the Lord puts us to sleep and he does it. So here there are three animals plus a couple of, of uh, birds that are, the, the animals, like the cow, the, the goat, and the, the sheep, they're cut in half and then they're laid. And in the Old Testament, this context in the ancient Near East, to ratify a covenant, you would literally cut the animals, and so that's why it's called cutting a covenant. And then you would walk in a figure eight shape, this, this symbol for eternity. You would walk through them as you made this agreement. And you're basically saying, may this happen to me, this cutting of animals into two pieces, this destruction, may it happen to me and more if I break my end of the covenant. Now think about this. Abram, would normally have walked through the animals to ratify the covenant, but God puts him in a deep sleep. And who is the one who walks through between the pieces of the animals? It is God. Lord, the Lord alone does this. Who ratifies the covenant? God. This is an unconditional, one-way covenant. Abram just believes it. Abram goes to sleep and believes it. And so, so do we. Um, I do in, really like this phrase um, also, in verse 15, it says, As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. Um, and also there's this, um, well, we'll pause there, but, um, and then he reminds them that he will be faithful to the covenant. God will be faithful. So that's, that's Genesis 15. These agreements that God makes, these promises that God makes, um, they keep getting uh, bigger and bigger, and they're going to lead us to the, the very king of righteousness himself. Right? We see that king of righteousness. I'm just going to flip over to the text in Matthew. Jesus is come uh, and he is, he is the king. Right? He says uh, in Matthew 4, the kingdom 
of heaven is at hand to repent. Uh, and then he, he calls his disciples and then he is giving them the kingdom. He says, blessed are you who are poor in spirit for yours is the kingdom of heaven right now. And then he says, this is how you will live as my followers in this kingdom. And then, so he's giving them the sermon on the mount. And so today he gives us this amazing challenge uh, about our hearts. And he talks about lust and divorce and taking oaths and retaliating and loving our enemies. These are things that are we all fall short in. And yet we are still called to do it. And at the very exact same time, we say the only one who has done this is the king of righteousness, Jesus himself. Jesus himself is the one who uh, did not commit lust in his heart, is the one who was faithful to his bride, the one who um, does not need to swear by heaven or earth, who just tells us the truth, the one who, when he was struck, um, did not retaliate, right? We see this in the, in the whole story of Jesus going to the cross, the one who has loved his enemies, right? So that is, um, and then verse 48 says this, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. We see this is our call. And in Jesus, uh, we are not perfect, but in Jesus, we are perfect. And that sounds crazy. You're like, yes, but believe it because Jesus is perfect. So um, believe it and that count, God counts that to us as our righteousness. Uh, we won't spend much time in Psalm 6. It is one of those lament psalms that, that, um, that David, King David, is crying out to the Lord. Just look at verse 10. It says this. Well, verse 8, 9, and 10, let's pray it. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put in shame in a moment. Um, and then to end from Psalm, uh, from Proverbs chapter 1, the very last verse says this, Whoever listens to me, that is, to wisdom, will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. God has promised that his seed would occupy the land. And whether that's the land of Israel or the new heavens and new earth, which is what I think the ultimate meaning is, we will dwell in safety. Well, there is so much there. Um, I just kind of brushed the surface. I know you have lots of, of questions. Feel free to, um, to ask your questions and I'll try to answer them. One question I have is, and I'm not quoting here, but uh, Pastor Zek, you uh, did not mention the rainbow, the covenant, the sign of the covenant that God made with Noah. Why is that? Are you um, letting that be given over to those who have an agenda? Or did you just forget? And the answer is, I, I just forgot. Uh, there's going to be a lot of things I don't mention, but the sign of the covenant, this rainbow, is a beautiful thing. Whenever we see it, it does not mean that love is love, uh, do what you want, you know, it means that God is faithful. Even though the whole world deserves to be washed away and uh, in a flood, that God will not destroy again, that God's heart is one of love. Now think for a minute, what is a rainbow? Obviously, scientifically, we can, you know, talk about the, uh, the, the light coming to our atmosphere and, and all that. that. That's true, and I don't understand it all. I'm not a scientist. But also just thinking, what is a bow in the ancient world? And even today, it's something you shoot with, right? A bow and arrow. Which way is this bow pointing? It's pointing upwards, right? 
just scientifically that's the way it had to be. No, I think God designed that and that bow is shooting up towards heaven. And we see here in, in, in the rainbow, the one who would take the hit is the one who dwells in heaven, God himself. Just as in Genesis 15, when the, when the Lord walks through the animals, um, this will happen to the one who breaks the covenant. Well, Abram sleeps, the Lord walks through it. We have broken the covenant, and who is the one who uh, was, who took the hit for us? Well, anyway, I'll leave that to your imagination. I'm going to get going. Thank you all for uh, listening in. The Lord bless you and keep you, and I'll see you soon. Bye.